Good evening. It is really, really great to be with you all uh, this evening. We have been, uh, we, I spoke, you know, a, a few weeks ago, came up on a Sunday morning, but um, we've been anticipating this move for about two years now. So to finally be here and then to be standing up here is just, it's a huge privilege. Uh, we're really, really um, just, it's a sweet thing to be here. Steve, I've noticed uh, when he introduces services, whether in the evenings or in the mornings, he uses that word a lot, privilege. It's a privilege to be here. I'm feeling that uh, this evening. It's a big privilege, so thanks for having me. Uh, if you would, if, if you didn't turn there when we had our scripture reading, or if you want to get back in your Bibles to Psalm 116, we're going to be there this evening, Psalm 116. And as you're kind of getting settled back in there, I want you to think about a time when you have received an incredible, amazing, just out of this world gift, okay? It could be an actual gift, a a present or something. It could be maybe something that someone has done for you, something that has happened in your life that has just really influenced you and and just has, brings immense thanks uh, to your heart. Uh, For me, uh, it's not very spiritual, but for me, one of the first things that I think of is when my wife and I were young, we were 19 when we got married, we were poor, we both worked at a fast food restaurant, uh, Chick-fil-A, if anybody is familiar with stuff in the States. Uh, we both worked at Chick-fil-A, we were 19, and my parents gifted us with an all-expenses-paid vacation to Walt Disney World in Florida for our honeymoon. Well, to two poor 19-year-olds, that's a big deal. That uh, it, it gave us a lot of thanksgiving in our hearts for a gift that we didn't uh, deserve. Now, as you guys will get to know us better, Zoe and I love Disney World. <laughs> we, we don't really care about Disney at all, like their movies or anything, but we love Disney World. So it was, it was a really big gift to us and something that even today, I'm, I'm really thankful to my parents for gifting us uh, with that. And it's that spirit of getting a gift and then responding in thanksgiving, responding to the gift that we're given that we see here in Psalm 116. Responding, as we'll see in this psalm, with praise and worship to the Lord who saves us in the gospel. So the gift of the gospel, we respond with praise and thanksgiving. And as we'll see, we respond even even when circumstances are really, really hard. I mean, as, as Steve just read, uh, this is not um, light stuff, this psalm. This is some hard circumstances that he's coming out of with thanksgiving and praise. So I think, for any of you note takers out there, or people who just like to kind of frame things in your mind, I think that the main point of this passage What God wants us to get out of it, and so hopefully the main point of the sermon as well is this. Take heart, Christian. Even though life is hard, the Lord has saved your soul. Praise the Lord for this salvation and live in light of it. That was kind of long, so let me say that again. Take heart, Christian. 
even though life is hard. The Lord has saved your soul. Praise the Lord for his salvation and live in light of it. And we're gonna break that down into two points. Point number, and they're really just gonna break down that main point. So point number one, even though life is hard, the Lord has saved your soul. And that's gonna be verses one through 11. And then point number two, praise the Lord for his salvation and live in light of it. So let's jump in. Point number one, even though life is hard, the Lord has saved your soul. So starting in verse one, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy, because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on his name as long as I live. Now, in terms of background and context and things like that, this psalm is actually kind of difficult. We, we don't know that much about it. Uh, but that shouldn't trip us up too much, however. We, we can still come to it knowing it's God's word and, and at least know what the psalmist is telling us about his situation. While we don't know exactly what these pleas for mercy was, what the hardship that he describes is about, one thing that we do know right off the bat is he wastes no time before talking about God, who God is, and what God has done for him. He wastes no time making his audience aware of his love for the Lord. We're going to talk a lot about suffering here in a second, but what we need to see before we do that, before we talk about suffering, he grounds his talking about suffering in God's love. He's not thinking about suffering without thinking of who God is. Before he even gets into it, he talks about how God hears his pleas and inclines his ear to him. From the outset, he's grounding his trust in God's love, even amidst extremely difficult circumstance. So keep going to verse 3. We could see here where, where he goes on to describe a little bit about what these things that he's delivered from. So he says that the snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Skip down to verses 10 and 11. He continues to describe this plight. And he says, I believed, even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. And I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. In other words, this is, a, this is just a really difficult circumstance. Back to kind of thinking about the context and not even knowing exactly what's going on here. We don't know the, the kind of historical backdrop of this suffering. But, but I don't think that that should uh, trip us up. I actually think in God's providence, in the Holy Spirit's providence, in writing this psalm, that the lack of details is kind of purposeful. Why, why do I say that? Because what the psalmist is describing here, this type of pain and affliction and suffering, it's really relatable, isn't it? I think that if we're honest with ourselves, we can read some of the emotions that he's describing, some of the ways that he, he talks about crying out to God and we say, I, I feel like this a lot. Or I feel like this sometimes. Or I have felt like this before. We've all been in situations where 
we can feel as if death itself is just encompassing us, that we're full of distress and anguish, where we, we feel like things are so bad that we look around even at others and we say, I, I can't even trust anybody around me. It's, it's like everybody is a liar around me. That was kind of a, a heavy way to start the sermon, but as we, as we move into talking about the Lord's salvation, we have to see just how big our plight is. Before we can appreciate God's deliverance and provision here in, in Psalm 116, the salvation that the Lord brings, we need to, to better comprehend the difficulties that he's describing here, the difficulties that he says that he's delivered from. So, in light of that, Christian, hear, hear me today. Affliction and suffering are normal. Affliction and suffering are normal. That's why this psalm is written the way it is. For some of you here this evening, even, even hearing that might, might be a comfort to you, to hear that from a pulpit, that affliction and suffering are normal, that if you're experiencing these things, you're, you're just living a life in the world. You're not alone. There, there's all kinds, if we think about it, there's all kinds of reasons to be distressed, to feel anguish. Think about the, the things that Steve was just praying about. All the lost people in countries that have little to no access to the gospel. The, the, the state of governments and, and the world around us. The, the, pri- the cost of living and, and thinking, am I even going to make it to the end of the month? Maybe you're in a stage of life where your health causes you immense suffering. Maybe you have a, a, a child who has grown up and has since left the faith that they once held dear and you just don't even know how to talk to them. You, you don't know how to communicate with them and it causes you immense suffering and anguish. There are all kinds of reasons that we could be feeling distressed in this world, isn't there? You're not, you're not crazy for, for feeling distressed and in anguish, this is just the story of the Bible. Just, just think about even various things that we've been working through as a church. Think about Steve preaching through Daniel. Life is hard, right? Kingdoms come and go, so stay faithful. Be ready. A few weeks ago, Clifford gave a great Wednesday night devotional on the life of Joseph. What is the life of Joseph other than the Lord working amidst suffering. Job, Ecclesiastes, Psalms, the the life of Paul. Again, suffering is normal. But, but, (laughs) this is the important part. Just because suffering is normal doesn't mean that suffering is meaningless or that there's no hope in suffering. Case in point, what, what is our Lord described as? The suffering servant. 
The gospel itself is a story of the Lord working through suffering. So as we move on to the absolutely glorious truths of God's provision for us in suffering, find comfort too in the fact that if you are suffering, you're, you're not weird, you're not the odd one out. You're not alone. And, and listen to this, especially those of you right now who, who are saying, yes, that is me. What, what this psalmist is describing here sounds like me. Look at verse 5. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Verse seven, return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. So does the Lord just leave us in that state of anguish and suffering? No, he's gracious and merciful, and he saves us. This is why we can take heart, even when life is hard. This is why we can praise the Lord even when life is hard, because he saves us amidst suffering. But let's not be too uh, quick to, to just leave it there and not explain what this salvation is, right? We could, we could easily look at a passage like this and you know think about it in a prosperity gospel type way and just say, oh, life is hard, but if you pray hard enough, your life will be easy and things will be good. Look at the psalm. What is the salvation that he is referring to? Look at verse 4 again. Notice what the psalmist prays would be delivered. He says, O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Verse 7, return, O my soul, to your rest. Verse 8, you have delivered my soul from death. The psalmist's answer to his anguish, the answer to life being hard, it's interesting. It's not not fixing everything in his life. It's God bringing salvation to his soul. In other words, what is our comfort in suffering? It's the gospel. It's the undeserved kindness of God to sinners like us that we can cling to in the midst of hard circumstances. For the psalmist here, the answer to his pleas for mercy, the answer is his soul being saved. When his soul is brought low, God saves his soul. The gospel brings us hope in light of suffering. Hope that despite what's going on now, despite what's going on now, we can trust that God loves us and, as he says, is gracious and merciful and righteous. That's encouraging. You know, I've, I've been in church life for a long time, for my, my whole life. I grew up in church. And one of the things I've heard a lot, over and over again, especially from more mature believers, when they go through a hard circumstance, they'll often say, oh, I just don't know how I could have done that. 
or I don't know how I could do this without the hope of the gospel. I don't know how I could do this if I wasn't a Christian. Uh, and I think that's right. Uh, you know, you, you look at the world and how hopeless things are. I mean, the, the suffering that we're talking about happens to everybody, but we live as those who have hope, not those who have no hope. I, I often think, how, how do unbelievers get through hard times if, if they don't have the gospel? The gospel brings us so much hope in a fallen world. We know that despite what's going on, our sins are forgiven in Christ. We don't live as those who have no hope. As Steve was preaching in Daniel, I mean, I mean goodness gracious, we know the end, right? The gospel helps us know the end. We live in the already not yet. God is coming again. The kingdom is coming again. That same gospel hope is what's fueling worship for God from the psalmist here in Psalm 116. Our souls find rest in the gospel because the Lord deals bountifully with us in Christ. On this point, I don't want to presume that everybody in this room, especially a room this size, is a Christian. If you're here this evening and, and you haven't found this rest for your soul, or you're, you, you might have thought, think you have and, and you hear the kinds of things that I'm saying, let me just be the first to say, we want you to find rest for your soul. Christ died in order to take the penalty for our sins and was raised to newness of life. What does the psalmist say? He says that death was encompassing him. As Christians, we believe that when Jesus rose from the dead, he conquered death. One day, he's coming back and will make the whole world right, and all this suffering will go away, but only for those who have put their faith in Christ. This is the salvation that we find in Christ. If you're here this evening and and you haven't put your faith in Christ, I'm sure that anybody you're sitting next to after the service would love to talk to you about that. So don't go another second. Ask, how do I find this rest for my soul? And then a word for Christians who are here this evening. Remember, as we talked a lot about this morning, the gospel isn't just for unbelievers. The gospel isn't just for new believers. The Lord's grace and mercy fuel our lives for worship every day. That doesn't mean that life is easy, as we're seeing here. It doesn't mean that life is easy. But what it does mean is that even though life is hard, God is righteous and merciful. When you are brought low, Christian, he deals with you bountifully to bring your soul to rest. I'm not sure if you have very vivid memories of your childhood. I know... Some people who, have, who can remember their childhood really well, I'm one of them. Other people who can't remember almost anything. My wife is, is that. She like, just can't remember anything about her childhood. But think back to when you were a child. Uh, if you, maybe a time that you fell and 
scraped your knee or, or hit your head, got hurt in some way. And when you're a kid and you fall, it, not only do you hurt just because you physically hurt, you're also probably kind of embarrassed for falling. And what does a good parent do in that situation? A good parent doesn't come along to the kid with the scraped knee and just say, deal with it. <laughs> Get up. Rub dirt in that. No. The good parent is like God here. They're gracious. When the child is brought low, they deal bountifully with them. That's the Lord in our suffering. You know, I, I love theology. I love big God theology, but I think sometimes we we can get so hyper-focused on the transcendence of God and the holiness of God that we forget the truths of this psalm, that God is gracious and merciful. We worry even that if we are struggling or afflicted that the Lord might deal harshly with us. Listen to Jesus' words in Matthew 7. Matthew 7, 9 through 11. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask him? In other words, in our suffering, when we're that child with the scraped knee, God's not there trying to pull one over on us. He's not the type of father that when you ask him for a a fish, he'll give you a serpent. He loves us. He's gracious and righteous and merciful. He preserves the simple, as our text says. So amidst suffering, our hope is in the gospel of Christ. Not that God will pluck us out of every difficult circumstance or suffering, but that despite that suffering, despite it, we know that our souls are saved and will never taste death. We might feel like death is surrounding us, but we can find hope that Christ conquered death. Okay, point number two and a bit shorter Praise the Lord for his salvation and live in light of it. Praise the Lord for his salvation and live in light of it. So starting at verse 12. So this is kind of the turning point of the psalm. So we've been thinking about, okay, all this suffering, the Lord saving our souls in suffering, who God is. And then we're kind of uh, have this, okay, what do I do with it? You know, to talk about our analogy earlier, you've received this great gift. How do you respond to that great gift? You respond, as, as the author of Psalm 116 shows here, in thanksgiving. He responds to this salvation with worship. So as we think about the gospel and how to live in light of the gospel, What does this psalm tell us? We live in light of the gospel. We live in light of salvation by worshiping God. We live in light of salvation by giving thanks to God. Look at verse 12. 
what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? In other words, salvation is really incredible. I'm not just going to sit here and do nothing. What do I do with it? I need to respond in some way. And verses 13 and 14, this is his response. I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. You don't just believe that God saves your soul and not worship him. He's just like, this is normal. How, How could I not lift up the cup of this salvation to the Lord? This psalm reminds us that when the Lord gets you even through trials, it's, it's our joy to, to praise God for his salvation. There's something else that I want us just to see here that I think we could easily miss uh, in, in verses 13 and 14. We, we could easily just say, okay, Jared, that's great. The Lord saves. Uh, I knew that. Uh, praise him for his salvation. That's really helpful. Need that reminder. But if we look closely at Psalm 116, we're not only told to praise him for his salvation, we're told a way to do it. There's actually a way to worship God that is talked about in this psalm. And that way to worship God, I want us to just hone in on for a second. So look back at verse 14. I will pay my vows to the Lord. Where? in the presence of all his people. As the psalmist is is contemplating this great salvation, he's thinking about all that God has saved him from, he's thinking about his suffering and the Lord's goodness. Where where does his mind immediately go? His mind immediately goes to, I want to be with God's people. They've got to know about this. Look down at verses 17 through 19. I will offer you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. In other words, I want to worship God with the people of God. The psalmist assumes that a life of one who has been saved by God is not a life lived alone. And, and to put this in a New, text, New Testament context, the Christian life is not a life that's to be lived alone. You're meant to praise God with God's people, the church. Being saved by the gospel leads to gospel living, right? And where does the Bible assume that this gospel living takes place? Well, in both the New and the Old Testaments, it's always in the context of God's people. Now, of course, this this doesn't mean we get rid of, I'm not suggesting, hey, stop doing devotions and, and stop praying on your own and things like that. No, not at all. But what I am saying is that if we look at a passage like Psalm 116 or all over the Bible, that if one is to fully celebrate their salvation, to fully live in light of their salvation, they must be attached to the people of God. 
that's what we're doing here tonight. That's what we do here on Sunday mornings. We get together and we praise and worship the God who saved our souls. We get together and through songs and prayer and fellowship and hearing preaching together and taking the Lord's Supper and baptism, we all say with a loud voice with this psalm, you have delivered our souls from death. We lift up the cup of our salvation. Worshiping the God who saved us together, it's like the reason we exist. That, That is the white hot center of the church. The church isn't just another social club. It's not just a part of your life. You know, you, you don't come to Great Vic because you just like to be around your friends or, or people that you like. Great Vic is an outpost of the kingdom of God in Belfast. Great, Vic's, it, it, Great Vic is a mix of all kinds of different people from different backgrounds who come together in a unified voice saying, I will lift up the cup of my salvation and call on the name of the Lord. That's why we gather together. Now, I just mentioned all kinds of ways that Scripture gives us uh, to do that as the New Testament people of God, hearing preaching, you know, uh, fellowship, the Lord's Supper, things like that. But just to illustrate even ways that we can be thinking, okay, I want to live like this psalm. I want to live like Psalm 116. Here's an an easy way that we can do that together, and it's singing. Remember, worship isn't only singing, but it's it's an easy application. One of the things that Zoe and I have loved just about being here is how loudly everyone sings. What an encouragement to come here on a Sunday morning, on a Sunday evening, and just hear you guys sing. And especially when there's any, when there's any song with the word power in it, sounds great in your Northern Irish accents. Um, I'm not going to attempt to say it, uh, you know, to imitate it, but you know what I'm talking about. And you know, one of the huge benefits of singing with the lights on and with the musicians turned down like we do is that we're not just singing for the sake of singing, for for hearing beautiful music. We're singing to encourage each other with the gospel. We're trying to be like the psalmist here, with each other. We're trying to sing with one another and to one another. That's why you use the word congregational singing. We're praising God in the presence of, of the people of God. As we sing praises to God for saving our souls, think about it. You you can look around and see other people praising God for the salvation of their souls too. And that's really encouraging as you then, it's like this cycle. Then you get really encouraged and and you sing louder because you say, Lord, you, you haven't only saved me, you've saved them too. I mean, that's what the psalmist is doing here. He's saying, The Lord's salvation is so good, I have to share it with others. That's what we can do with each other even when we sing. Before closing, I think it'd be helpful just to press in 
a little bit on really what this psalm is doing in the Bible. What is this psalm revealing about our hearts and our tendencies? Why, why is Psalm 116 in the Bible to encourage us that even when life is hard, we should worship the Lord? And quite simply, I, I think it's because we have an immense need to worship the Lord. And as we sang earlier, God wants us to raise our Ebenezer, right? To, to remember how indebted we are to his grace. And, and this might seem on the outset kind of shallow. <laughs> okay, that's pretty obvious, you know, praise the Lord. But I, I think, again, if we're honest with ourselves, we struggle with this more than we'd like to admit in our sin and our self-dependence, we can be prone to forget our debt to God's grace in the gospel. Again, we, we raise our Ebenezer, but what else? We're prone to wander. Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the God we love. We're often like Peter, denying Jesus. We, we can in, insist that we'll never forget him, we'll always be loyal to him, and then something difficult happens and we turn away. We tell the Lord, Lord, I will live in light of your grace, and then something happens. A coworker tells a crude joke and you, uh, you don't protest and maybe you even uh, get in on it. A friend asks you, aren't you a Christian? And you say, well, uh, it's complicated. I'm not that kind of Christian. And then you're so worried about all the things you're not, you you never even share your faith. Or we're we're like those in Galatia, as we saw this morning, that uh, we can even look to other things that we think will help us in our worship of God, but they actually undermine the gospel. They undermine our worship of God. Worshiping God, even worshiping him for the things that he's done for us, it's not, it's not always easy. We need reminders to worship God. I'm not sure about yourselves, but I, when it comes to scheduling, like meetings, calls, things like that, I am extremely absent-minded. I, can, I have to put things in my diary, see there me being bilingual, my calendar, diary. Uh, I have to put things in my diary like three times. I have to remind others, and I especially have to remind my wife. She basically keeps up with my schedule uh, for me. But what, what does that do for me? It helps me because it, she reminds me of the obligations that I have that I need to fulfill. Zoe helps me with my obligations that I need to fulfill. And life is like that sometimes, right? We, we, if we don't take proactive steps to remember, we will soon forget. In the same way, what Scripture does for us, what we do for each other as a church every Sunday morning, Sunday evening, home groups, uh, Wednesday prayer meetings, abide, all of it, what we do for each other 
is we remind each other of the gospel. We're pushing and reminding of our obligation to worship God in the gospel, where our thoughts need to be. If we want to better praise the Lord in his salvation of us, we need others around us who can beckon us and remind us. Like this psalmist, hey, hey, remember, the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Hey, remember, the Lord is gracious and righteous and merciful. We need reminders, especially like we talked about at the beginning, especially when life is hard, right? It can be easy to worship God when life seems easy. But we, we need reminders when life is hard. We need people like Paul in the church, uh, talking to the church at Galatia. R- remember the gospel. We, we do that with one another. So, and it's this gospel that, that is our hope, right? In the midst of suffering, our salvation, the salvation of our souls is the gospel. And the gospel doesn't just apply to unbelievers, it applies to us as Christians. It helps everything about our lives. It helps us endure suffering, as we've seen. It helps us worship God. It helps us interact with other Christians. And we could go on and on and on. So, take heart, Christian. Even though life is hard, the Lord has saved your soul. Praise the Lord for his salvation and live in light of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we come before you just like this psalmist. We pray that we would love you because you have heard our voice and our pleas for mercy. You've inclined your ear to us as your church. And Lord, we know that you are gracious and righteous and merciful. So thank you for your salvation. And we pray that we would live in light of it. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much, Jared, for uh, just opening God's word to us. We're going to respond now by singing this rousing hymn that calls us to rise up uh, and to go out into another week serving the Lord. So let's stand and sing together.
some refreshments served at the back there.